Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at The Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you. And then we're going to do the Bible thing, okay? I'm going to read the overall text, and then we're going to get into uh, the Word. But I want to declare this over your life. I want you to get a good gist of what is taking place and what happened. I just can't imagine Mary and Joseph right about this time of day pulling into Bethlehem on that, uh, uh, on that donkey, with that colt, they're just riding in there and, and not having any Priceline, Hotel.com, no cell phone, no early check-in. You know, most check-ins today are like 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon to get into your hotel room. I just can't imagine the stress they might have been under coming into that. I could somewhat imagine the stress that you might be under because I know the stress that I come under in seasons like this and other seasons and just life in general can create stress. I want to share something with you. Stress leads into oppression. Oppression is what Jesus came for. You and I in the Bible Belt, you have this mindset, he came to save me so that when everything's over, I get to go to heaven. That's just part of it. That's just part of it. He can save you today. I don't care how bonafide of a born-again Christian you are. He can save you today. He can take you out of your toils, out of your burdens. He can meet you in your manger. You know, I was looking at the word manger. I haven't done this in a while. I'm looking at the word manger, and I saw a few other words in there. I saw man, and I saw anger. He can take you out of your anger. He can take you out of your distress, out of your depression. He can take you through and out and into joy from your mourning, from your grief, from your sorrow. He can heal you from your pains and your woundedness. This is the same Jesus you were just praising just a few minutes ago. This is who he is. But sometimes we learn to build our little world, build our own manger, if you would, build our own stable, if you would. Have you ever noticed your stink doesn't stink to you? It only stinks to those who don't live in your stink. Come on, somebody. It's kind of like your filth isn't dirty to you because you know it's your filth. But to somebody else, it's filthy, it's dirty. We need to let every wall break down. We need it as it was when he came, an open heaven, an open sky, out in a manger. Oh, maybe a little bit of a, of a lean-to top over it, most, most likely open and able to get in and get out. We need to open up a little bit and receive Jesus. Is there the possibility? Is there the possibility that you could call somebody today and say, hey, I've got good news. I said, well, what is it? Well, you're not going to believe it, or maybe you won't understand it, but I got saved today. And they're going to try to talk you out of the encounter you have with Jesus today and said, this one trumps them all. No, you didn't know half of anything then. And you weren't in as much then as you're in now that he could still deliver you out. He said, but that's not all the good news. What is the good news? You can get saved today too. You can be set free today. You can be liberated today. You can have joy today. You can become strong today. 
You can have hope today. Your faith can work again today. This story has so much more to it than what we allow it to meet the eye sometimes because there's so much activity. There's so much motion, animation, illustration in our life when it comes to Christmas time. Sometimes we miss what we need to see. Oh, that our eyes would be open and our ears would hear. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, and who was with child. And notice something here. I just, I've never noticed this about Mary, but it's very unique, especially for us to be the bride of Christ. And sometimes for us to be the bride of Christ, it might take pastors, disciples, mentors, teachers, spouses, whoever, people in our life to lead us to where we need to be. But I never really noticed this about Mary before. Gretchen and I, and all of my travels, we say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but she gets to pick and choose where she goes. And you can just imagine, if it was Timbuktu or Hawaii, where she might choose to go. Most likely, Hawaii would be her choice. But notice here, Mary is with child. The custom of riding is the donkey. But it's all about Joseph getting registered. Honey, I don't know. I think I'll just stay here when you get back. We'll have the baby. We'll raise the family. We'll do this, we'll do that. Come on, girls. I just don't feel like it today. I just, I, I, that's a long ride. Could be dangerous. What if she didn't? We know what she did, but what if she didn't? It was not just to be registered, but to be fulfilled. Because the prophet said, the child would be born in Bethlehem. And so she took the journey. Let me say something to you, friends. The journey is not easy. According to Scripture, Jesus even said, Jesus said the straight path is difficult. I don't know about you, but I've been running into and bumping into a lot of difficulties lately. According to my will and my desire. What I want to do what I don't want to do, what I didn't know would have to happen, interruptions, extra this, extra that. Can I get a witness? The journey's not meant to be easy. If you're choosing an easier Christianity, it might be a broader path. So Mary took that journey to where Joseph was to be registered who was with child, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Notice, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths. The, the shepherds are getting ready to be told, you'll find him in swaddling cloths. Have you ever 
done something and, and, and there was a plan to do it and there was a way to do it and then you decided to take a shortcut or you, you decided to skip a step and think, well, everybody will figure it out. Could you imagine if the angels came and said, hey, this baby's going to be found when you find me on swaddling claws and they get over there and it's in silk sheets. It's just the little things that might matter for the big things to be understood. It's not easy to do the small details. It's not easy to do things right. But if you do things right, it makes things easier. Oh, it does. He said, he said, I will come to you and I'll yoke up with you and I'll make your burdens lighter. But getting there is not always the easiest path. So she wrapped him in the swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Everybody say manger. And because there was no room for them in the inn, well, the inn would be big and obvious. The inn would be big and, and secure. The manger is small and insignificant and exposed to the elements that are around. He didn't come to make us comfortable, but he came to comfort us. You wouldn't need a comforter if everything was easy, if everything was luxurious, if everything was comfortable and everything was the way you want it and how you want it, you wouldn't need a comforter. And most likely that's why a lot of the world does not look to him nor feel like they need him because they chose the easier path. But I will say this, the easier path will get more difficult because it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven is what Jesus said. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Oh, if I had a room full of shepherds, I believe that he's calling all shepherds. I think there's probably more shepherds in there than we realize because every one of us have a flock of some sort. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Most likely in this situation, they're experiencing fear. They're in the midst of darkness. There's not a great sense of joy in their life there, but he meets them where they are. He meets them in their very situation. So often we feel like we have to get to a place for God to be able to meet with us. God is able to meet with us where we are. I wrestle sometimes with how we do things or how we don't do things. I was having a conversation with Gretchen, and I'm thinking, man, this is a little bit underwhelming here. We should have a couple Christmas trees over here, more wreaths and bigger things and things, and have candles to light and all these different things. But then I stop and I look at the Scripture it was lesser than emphasized the more. It was the glory, not the lights of humanity, that shone upon them. It was the message, angelic message. It was the core to supernatural, miraculous, extraordinary events that were taking place. 
So often we try to mimic that. Or we try to design that. And then we miss it. Sometimes we get the that, but not the it. Amen? Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, one who is the Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling claws, lying in a manger. Here's shepherds in the field. There's magi coming also. Something is going to be a king, and some things is going to just be a babe. He's all in all, friends. He's the one and only. He's here and he's there. He said, you will find this Savior, this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Everybody say manger. And suddenly there was an angel with a multitude. Suddenly there was an, and the angel of a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Why are they giving glory to God? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They are up there, and they, they get it. They understand. They're like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. And I'm sure there's a few angels up here going, thank you. I didn't have to go. I get to stay here. But they knew what it meant for God to send Jesus to the world. They saw the ultimate manifestation of love. And so they started praising God. Not the shepherds, not the preachers, but God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I would offer an answer, a question to you. Uh, do you have peace in your life? I think we ought to take a moment and just consider that and think about that. Do we have peace in our life? You say, man, you, are, you, you sound like you're getting ready to mess up my Christmas. No, 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 not at all. You'd be much more happy to have peace in your life, sitting around with, by yourself, with others, with a crowd, perhaps getting what you didn't want or what you did get doesn't fit. That's your problem, not theirs. And still have peace. Having nothing, but yet having everything. Only with peace can one say everything's going to be all right. Only with true peace. You see, what he gave was peace. It must have been a very tumultuous time. It must have been a very cruel world when Jesus came. That if that was the time, he decided to send peace. There was no peace on earth. How could there be? There wasn't a generation alive that knew him. There wasn't a generation alive that experienced God themselves until this moment, this stage, this time. Matter of fact, he comes from the city of David. Joseph, Joseph is, is a carpenter, but he's of the lineage, the direct line of David, the king. There's a thousand-year gap between these two boys, a thousand-year gap between David's days and Joseph's days. And Joseph's not walking around with any royalty badge, any robe, any signet, 
any evidence that he's of that lineage. They didn't come to him and say, you stay right there. We'll register you over here. They're getting him back home. Christmas is about getting people back home. Christmas is about getting people back in line. Christmas is about lining people up with the God call upon their life. I'm not talking about the call like a preacher and the call like this. I'm talking about the call to him and to be called by him. It's a beautiful season. It's a wonderful time. But so often it's the other things that catches our eyes. So often it's the other things that has our ear. Make some room for Jesus today. And I want to commend you. I commend those who are online that aren't able to be with us today. You're here today. You did just that. You shook off everything else. You dusted it off. And you came and you sat to hear the word of God. And one thing he wants to give you today is peace. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. You know, we live in an era that we don't see a whole lot of goodwill toward men. Matter of fact, I was going down the road just the other day and I saw somebody who had his thumb out. I hadn't seen that in a long time. And the night before, we were looking for somebody who we felt was stranded and thought that we would give him a ride and we couldn't find that person. And I saw this one, but then all of a sudden, this, this turmoil just hit. Is he safe? Is this the best decision? You see, because of all of everything else that is going on, it's hard for me to make a decision with what's going on in my life. You need peace. You need to have the determination in your heart, goodwill towards man. Well, what if you die? At least you died giving goodwill towards men. I'm not saying be foolish. You say, well, then what are you saying? Because it sounds like it. You need to know to hear God's voice for yourself. But he brings us peace so we can distribute peace. He brings us peace so we can be a piece of what he's doing on earth. He says, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. There's something about doing the will of God. There's just something important that the church is missing, failing, neglecting, doing the will of God. Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. So in evidence here, Jesus is an act of the will of God. And you say, well, he's just an infant. He doesn't know any better. Oh, he knows better. The Jesus who came knew what was happening. And the reality is God knew what he was doing. Jesus was being the will of God. Even in the infant stages, he was still the will of God. Not everything's always the cross, but he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was obedient. He was doing the will of God. This was God's desire. Oh, if we could live for the desire of God, it will not always line up with what you desire. It would not always line up with what I plan. It would not always be in the same order, in the same structure. You see, we have a tendency, I want it this way and I want it that way. I want it my way. That's my will be done. My way be done. So it was when the angels had gone away 
from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, like my buddies and I said to each other in text messages this morning, let us now go to the house of the Lord. Let us now go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Bethel is the house of the Lord. Beth house, El Lord. Hem, the house of bread, the house of his presence. Bethlehem is to be the house of his presence. So let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord had made known to us. Did you notice the shepherds here? Mary and Zacharias, you know, they asked a few questions. The, the shepherds are like, let's go. Thought it was appropriate. Probably my favorite Christmas song, because just because that first part of go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it on the mountain. Just has a little bit of oomph to it, you know. They just went. They didn't see how could this be? Is this possible? I'm not sure. Let's go see if it is or not. They were, they were they're not questionable. They, they were responsible. They responded. They said, let's go see what the Lord has made known to us. And no, notice here that, that the angel are sent, but they're giving the Lord the credit. It could be so helpful for us as believers, me, you, all of us, if we could understand sometimes the Lord speaks through messengers. Sometimes he passes it through a teacher, sometimes through a prophet, sometimes through a pastor, sometimes through a parent, sometimes through whoever it may be. The Lord sends his message through messengers. He's worked that way more times than not. So he sent the message. They gave the Lord the credit. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Say it again, manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. We have a responsibility as, as keepers of our home, as keepers of our business. We have a responsibility to make known, to make widely known that message that has been given to us. You and I hold somebody's salvation. You and I hold the keys to somebody's deliverance. Somebody's deliverance. You and I hold the, the, the ounce of peace that somebody needs in the moment of chaos in which you're living. You and I can be those comforters. We make it widely known. I'm going to say something again. We have a responsibility. Not just to attend, but to be attentive. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, made it widely known what was said to them. And verse 18, and all those heard it marveled. Isn't that something we, we have a tendency, and I get it, I understand it. We have the, the fear of rejection. We have the fear that somebody's not going to receive what we say, so therefore we don't say anything at all. Predominantly, that's the main reason we do not present the gospel of the good news. Or it could be the absolute lack of confidence of whether we can do it correctly. They're just shepherds in a field. First times ever heard it. And they heard it. They've said it the way it was said to them. They shared the message that was shared to them. They didn't make up their own message for different groups and different peoples and different social statuses and different races and different. They didn't make it up. Friends, I got news for you. There's only one race. It's called the human race. And it's called the race of faith. And we're called to finish that. We need to love all at all times. Love. They shared this message. 
And those who heard it marveled. I want to put that in your faith today that, that perhaps somebody, when you read the Christmas story, maybe you're one of those families you're saying, we get together every Christmas and, and, and we sit around and I read the Christmas story uh, before we open our gifts and I read the Christmas story uh, before we eat our Christmas dinner. Do it. Keep doing it. Say, well, they're not really listening and the children, keep doing it. Maybe today's the day they'll marvel at it. Maybe today's the day they'll get it. Maybe today's the day they'll answer themselves. Maybe today's the day that the light will come on in their life. You just be faithful. It's not always going to be easy. It'll be difficult. They marveled that those things were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart. Maybe that's a place to, to desire to arrive at this year. How to get things in your heart, not just in your mind. And how to ponder in your heart, how to muse over these feelings and over these sayings. How to carry it deep inside of you. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Perhaps you have your Bible in your hand already. Once you lift it up with me and say this, this is my Bible. I'm going to be who it says I can be. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, in my soon coming resurrection. Oh Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It was an incredible story. I love the story. I love reading it. I love imagining being in it. To me, it's one of the most clearer stories that there is in the Bible for me. Maybe it's just because I've looked at it more times, but I love to take time and always looking for what I haven't seen before. But I want to focus on two verses out of this this morning. I want to focus on two verses. Verse 11 and verse 12. Let me read those again to you. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Lying in a manger. What is a manger? It's a trough. It's a rack or a fodder or a structure or feeder used to hold food for animals. Animals. I don't know that Jesus' soul or main purpose or intent to come to this world was to save cows Hogs, horses, no offense, dogs or cats. I don't think that was his ultimate. Now, you might find that in tears down here. I don't wrestle with whether there's animals in heaven, whatever. But he came for those who had a soul and those who had a heart. He came for man. He came for the highest form of creation. He came for man. Came for man, but God put him in a trough for animals. I wonder how cruel the world really was that he saw that we were not being humane, mankind, crucifying those, those battles in the middle of arenas and beating people to death, kind of like ultimate fighting. Yeah. 
If it doesn't phase you, it doesn't bother you, friends, something is unregenerated in your life. God hates violence. That's what it says. And the enemy has found a way to, to entertain us with it. Therefore, he employs us with it. We now function that way and we, we operate the way. And then we look at our life and we're like, well, I'm not that bad. But how cruel must the world have been? How filthy, how dirty that he said, I've got to go down there and feed the bread of life to the animals that are really supposed to be people. There's no goodwill towards man. There's no love on earth. There's no respect. There's no knowledge of God. Nothing is going on. So he was literally looking. He saw a man decrepit, wicked, evil, a manger. Mangers are mostly used in livestock raising and generally found in stables and farmhouses. They are also used to feed wild animals in nature reserves. We live in this reservation, whether it's Bethlehem, whether it's Galilee, whether it's Nazareth, wherever it was, whether it's Scottsboro. And we're, we're kind of, we're, we're, we, we may not be wild animals, but we're pets. Just as long as you get stroked this way or stroked that way, everything's good. But you stroke it the wrong way, then they act like an animal again. Or if the enemy touches with this or touches with that, next thing you know, we're doing this or doing that, that we said we'd never do again. Jesus knew what condition the world was in. He's not surprised by what condition you're in. He came to feed the world the bread of life. He came to feed the world the bread of life in Bethlehem. He came to feed the world the presence, the very presence of God on earth as he is in heaven. He was, a, he was an absolute reflection. He was an absolute symbol, symbolism of God on earth as he is in heaven. And he came and crawled up or got laid into a little manger to feed this lost and dying world. I wonder how wide of a search it must have been, tying in a few stories with others in different time frames, but trying to find this one who was born. And the search was so wide that, that Herod didn't even know he's in Jerusalem, didn't even know, you know what city he was going to be born in. And so they weren't really sure what was going on, the time frame and just uh, the vast. And, and, and to find, and then it was going to be every boy two years old and younger was going to be murdered just trying to find this one guy. So how vast of a search it was. And I can imagine waking up as an unsaved person today going, what do I do today? Where do I go? How do I find him? How do I find peace? How do I get over this hatred I have towards my parent for doing this to me? Or this hatred I have for my neighbor or this dislike I have because I was raised this way or that. I want, how do I get free in this? It's a vast search. But if only the church would be a Bethlehem. If only the church would be a manger. How wide of a search it was, but then how specific it became. Because I guarantee you there was probably no other child in Bethlehem on that day lying in a manger. In swaddling cloths. With an unmarried couple. Who had yet not been intimate with one another, but yet she had a child. I guarantee you that was the only star up there was leading to that path. 
So how narrow and how specific. So my point is, no matter how vast or how broad or how lost or how wild your life is, he can get you to where you need to be if people be sharing that message. We ought to be presenting hope of what we've found and how we found him with others so they can find him. Somebody ought to say amen. A savior that's going to get deep now is one who saves. One who saves from any form or degree of evil. Now, now bear with me here a second. Any form or degree of evil. Now, doesn't evil just sound evil? In its highest sense, the word indicates, Savior, in its highest sense, the word indicates the relation sustained by our Lord to his redeemed ones. He is their Savior. He is not everybody's Savior. He's only the Savior to those who have been redeemed. He has saved everybody, but not everybody sees him as Savior. A Savior is a deliverer to deliver you from whatever form of evil. Did you hear me? He, he's, 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 not a, he's not a ticket master. He's not the window person that you know, gives out the ticket of what bus you're going to get on or what ride you're going to take, and you get that ticket, and then you're good. No, no. He, he gets you out of situations. You don't want somebody to give you a ticket, and the bus breaks down. It's like, I don't, we don't fix buses. We just give you tickets. No, you didn't hear that. You see, there's a lot of buses that break down. There's a lot of people get on that one bus heading to heaven, and then things break down, and it's not moving anymore. It's stranded. It's busted. It's broken. It's frustrated. It's angry. It's unfaithful. It's diseased. Whatever that breakdown may be, you want them to be responsible to pick you back up, right? To get you where you need to be. So what is evil? Same as wicked. And you would say to yourself, there's nothing wicked about me, but I can show you some wicked people. There's nothing evil about me, but I can show you some evil people. Watch this. We never seem to see ourselves as evil or wicked. Only those who are like us or worse than us could be evil or wicked. See, we have a tendency to measure ourselves to somebody else's fallen state. And I'm not as fallen or as broken or as troubled as they are. Therefore, I'm not wicked or evil. Matter of fact, we don't even use the word wicked and evil unless we're using it just, man, that's wicked. It's almost like we celebrate wickedness in this culture by saying that's wicked. Matter of fact, we could call somebody in the athletic world the chosen one, and then we'll say what he did was wicked. That's a mangled up mind. Did you hear me? That's messed up. But we don't realize it's us that's messed up because we're not as messed up as them. So therefore, we can't be evil. We can't be wicked. Okay, if that's the way we're going to do it, then let's do it right. If we're going to measure our wickedness or evilness by their wickedness and evil and say we're not that much, let's turn around and look at Jesus and see where we measure up with him and see whether we're wicked or evil. You're saying, I don't think it's a really good message to tell me I'm wicked and evil on Christmas Eve. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you you have a Savior. You don't have to be wicked. You don't have to be evil. He's not an illuminated sign somewhere. 
He's the reality. He's the truth. He's the savior of the world. You see, what was born to us on that day was a savior. All the other stuff had its place, but what was born to us was a savior who is Christ the Lord. And we need to somehow understand that any ounce or any level of wickedness or evilness in our life, we can be free from that. We can be delivered from our own self-willed and self-desired life that keeps getting in trouble again and again and again. And if you're in that good place, it doesn't stop there. You and I have the responsibility to tell somebody else, you can have peace. You can have hope. You can be free. Evil. So here's the definition of evil. Oppressed by toil. Burdened. Burdened or worthless. I know what it feels like to feel worthless. This past year and maybe the year and a half, I have felt more, more experiences of that greater and greater and, and, and that sense of worthlessness. And, and I'm not looking for any pity whatsoever. I'm getting you somewhere. And, and then I'm finding myself in the stage coming to this area and to that area and feeling the toil and the expressing. And I start realizing, I'm like, Lord, what is going on here? What is in me that is causing issues to keep arising in my life? And so I start dealing with that and dealing with that. And, but I still have the sense of I know what it feels like. And perhaps you do too. Perhaps you do too. What would be wrong with getting saved again if he's the Savior? You've been baptized in the Spirit again. You've been forgiven again. Somebody built something in our mind that thinks it's one and done. But then we live toiling and struggling, and, 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 but we think it's not that bad because we're not as bad as we used to be. Don't, don't compare yourself to the old you. You'll never become the new you because the old you didn't want to be that person anymore, and you became the new you, but now you have struggles going on in your life. Don't look back. Look forward. You can be free from evil. Romans chapter two, uh, 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what's the gold line here? A ticket to heaven or the glory? The word became flesh and dwelt among them that they could behold his glory. We're meant to be partakers of his divine nature, of virtue and glory. We need to be fashioned and prepared for the glory. And let me say this to you. The evil and wicked cannot live within the glory. He's the glory and the lifter of your head. He's a shield that surrounds you. He can get you out of what you've been in. He can protect you from what's around you. But it's his glory. Is there the possibility that his glory is our shield? Great possibility. Not just our faith, but the glory surrounds you. Is it not normally the things behind you that come back to get on you? The things on your left and your right you didn't see, you're fighting this battle, and then it comes in over here. Next thing you know, you're behaving this way, you're acting this way, you're talking this way, you're doing these things, you're doing things that you didn't want to do because something got in because you weren't in something. We've got to be in the glory. We've got to learn how to be in the glory. I've said this numerous times. If the word became flesh and dwelt among them and they beheld his glory, there's no miracle that the flesh could become the word. 
If you walk in his word and continue in his word, and his word is a lamp unto your feet and a line of it, and wherewithal shall young man cleanse his word by taking heed according to his word, you can be free. The word of God leads you into freedom. The word of God should be your, 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 your manual, your, your, your guidance manual to, to lead you through life. Amen? How do I handle this situation? So all have sinned, so nobody's out of this. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Did you hear me? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when God gave Jesus... He gave the doorway, the light, the lamp, the path, the way to eternal life. He's the passageway. Now notice it was a broad, broad search to find him, but a narrow discovery of him. Now he says, if you just stay in that narrow way, you won't have to go the broad way. But if you don't stay in the narrow way, you'll go back out in the broad way. And the truth is still the truth. The wages of sin is death. You start employing yourself back into the world or back into evil or back into... The, the end result is the same again. You, you need a deliverer. You need a savior. He doesn't change. He, he, he's not just a one and done. I, I will save you and save you and save it. That's why he told Peter and he said, how many times did I forgive this person? They've offended me seven times. He said, seven times 70? You know why he said that? Because he's letting you and I know that he'll forgive you more than seven times for what you've committed and even more than seven times 70. My goodness, the mercy. The mercy of God. Somebody for a moment, think about that. How many times? But unforgiven sin. But unforgiven sin has its Rewards has its wages. In Acts 2, verse 40. And with many other words, one of my favorite, favorite verses. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I honestly could not tell you, this might lose some of you somewhere along the road, but I could not tell you how many times I've been saved. That is good. Oh, I could tell you about that one time. But that one time, I would fail to not tell you about that other time. And then I would fail to tell you about that other time. And, and, and oh, by that way, the other time. The, the time that I was so unfaithful that I didn't even know the Lord and I was a drug addict. And who knows all the things that went with that life. And then I get saved. And then I had to get saved and saved and saved and delivered so I could marry her. And then I had to get saved so I could raise them. And then I had to get saved so I could pastor you. There were so many things. And even while pastoring you sometimes, I had to get saved. Not from you, from me. And the way I thought about them or this or that or the other thing. What is wrong with continually being saved? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It's when people say, I only want to get so much saved. I just want to get the bookends and have my own books in the middle. I don't know that it's going to work that way. I don't know. I heard a huge 
discussion between two ministers, knew one firsthand. And one believed in once you're saved, you're always saved no matter what. And the other one said, hey, I think you can walk away from your salvation. I think you can walk away from it. I know the word says he will never leave you nor forsake you, but the word tells you to be careful not to leave and forsake him. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Therefore, I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself. You know what the mercies of God are? Every morning. <laughs> Great is his faithfulness, and even while you were faithless, he remained faithless. He didn't leave you nor forsake you. still hasn't. He said, I beseech you by the mercy of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable act of worship. Worship goes far beyond outside of this church building. And be no longer, be no longer conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is that perfect, mature, and acceptable will of God. Problem with the living sacrifice? has a tendency to crawl off the altar. A tendency to drift, to fall away, to be led in air of the truth. You've seen it before. How can you not believe it? It happens all the time. It's grievous, disturbing, and troubling. There are people that are harshly mistaken because they don't know the scriptures with the power of God. And with many other words, he exhorted them, saying, be saved in this perverse generation. I'm here to tell you that when 2020 hit, or, or whatever the COVID thing was called, when everything shifted and changed there, I had to regain. I had to refocus. I had to reposition myself how to lead my family, how to lead the church, how to lead through this situation. I had to. And that was important to me. I had to dismantle some things in my life. In other words, I had to be saved for that next generation from things that would have kept me or crippled me or hindered me or bound me from being able to advance and to move forward. I had to stay the course. So I testified to you. I've been saved more than once. So these pastors are having this conversation. And one said to the other, the one for the one saved said, well, what if I am right? The other one says, I'll be fine. He said, but what if I'm right? The guy goes, oh, my. Why not at least err on the safer side and make sure you're right with God? Listen to me, because as much as he came in that Christmas story you're going to celebrate this weekend, he's coming again. Well, you need to hear something. He is coming again. And he's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a church. He's coming back for one that is spotless and without blemish. He's coming back for one that has a wedding garment on. You know, there's a story in the Bible. They called this feast and everybody coming together and the, and the king comes out to greet everybody and to spend time with them and just to talk with them. And, and he looks over and goes, uh-oh. And he walks over to this one. Everybody has their wedding garments on because it's a wedding. He looks at this guy and says, friend. See, that's the dangerous thing. It's just because Jesus is going to be your friend and because he's going to stay friendly with you doesn't mean that you're always going to be right with him. He said, friend, 
why do you not have your wedding garment on? Didn't anybody tell you to wear the wedding garment? See, now that puts some of the responsibility back in us. Because if we're not telling people, they're going to show up ill-prepared. They're going to show up at the, at the ugly sweater thing with, the, with a tuxedo on. And you said, nobody tell you? Well, no, they just told me to come. How many of y'all have ever showed up ill-dressed or ill-prepared for an event? Mm-hmm. And you were the oddball, ugly duckling, whatever you want to call it. You stuck out like a sore thumb. Friends, I don't want you to miss it. If the, listen, if the righteous are going to be scarcely saved, <laughs> like by the skin of your teeth, if it's going to be that close for the righteous, we ought to do everything we could to get on the right side. Not find that wide side, that broad side, that anything goes side, whatsoever side. No, we need to find the door, the way, that narrow way. Anybody with me this morning? All right. I'm going to go home and listen to this. In 1 John chapter 2, just three more verses. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Uh, so John, the beloved, is, is, is writing this letter, and, and he's saying, listen, I'm writing these things so you don't sin. I'm not preaching it this way so it's okay to sin. Sin ain't good. Look at your neighbor and say that. Sin ain't good. Ain't no good for nobody. Sin ain't no good for nobody. Are you with me? Sin has a wage attached to it. You know what sin literally means? To miss the mark. See, we, now when I say sin, we think, oh, that's the evil and wicked people. Right? Remember them? We're not that. We're, well, what are we? Can you walk around saying, man, I'm holy? I'm pure, I'm blood-bought, I'm washed, ain't got a wrinkle on me, there's no spot on me, or do you start to justify? Well, everybody's got something. It's like we're looking for that. Do, do, hey, you have any sin? Yeah, okay, I can be your friend. Whew, I just always want to go to church with a sinner, you know what I'm saying? Just, that's what, I mean, that's kind of our mindset. It's kind of our mindset. But he said, I write these things that you don't sin. Let me ask you a question. When you get up in the morning, is that your mind? That I, I don't want to sin? And, I, and, and, and this just seems to bear witness to people. You've heard, many of you heard it before. If I were to say sinless, you'd be, ain't nobody sinless. Well, somebody who's washing the blood is. And somebody who is sinning less is sinless. But we want to try to somehow set the gauge of the standard somewhere that, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable right here. But don't mess with this stuff. No, it ought to be our desire to not sin. Not looking for somebody that's going to let us sin and get away with it. Sin has bad consequences. Somebody say Amen. He said, I write this that you would not sin. He goes on, he says, and if, everybody say if. If, if is a conditionally based word. Like the agape love of God is unconditional. If is based upon conditions. If you do or if you don't. Some people said, I don't think Christianity is about do's and don'ts. <laughs> you better read it again. Read it for yourself. If, my people. 
if my people do, if my people don't. We will and we will not. It's about the will of what we are going to do and what we don't do. Christianity is predominantly based upon faith that does. So he says, I write these things that if, if you do sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Everybody say advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, I will say this to you. I have sinned since I got saved in 1988. But I sinned more between my first salvation experience when I was a junior in high school and the time I got out of college and before I got born again at Outreach Ministries of Alabama when I got born again. Everybody say again. I had a spiritual awakening, but I sinned a lot and I would have been held accountable for all those sins. But if we confess our sins, faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We've been given a savior. If anyone says we have an advocate, we have a savior and he himself, listen to this, and he himself, nobody else, and he himself, that little package, most likely there's a very good possibility today or tomorrow, whenever you open your presence, it might be the smallest package or the most insignificant person in the room, seemingly, that gives you the best gift. It means more. It means more. Gretchen and I love to go home and, 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 and recognize givers, people that you're like, I didn't know they're going to give me. So Matt, Matt gave Gretchen a really, gave to Gretchen a, a really cool thing that I like, but it was a genuine gift. I'd never seen one before, never seen what it was. And to somebody, it was probably insignificant because he found it in a store that had already been owned by somebody. Nothing grieves me more. Can I just a little pet peeve here a second? Nothing grieves me more than to go to 12 Bushels Thrift Store and find precious treasures, letters, pictures, Bibles that it meant nothing to that generation anymore, and they just hump it in a corner. Now, that, that feeling doesn't last long because I start digging through it. <laughs> Teasing. But the reality is, what do we treasure? What is precious to us? Is Jesus the Savior precious to us? So insignificant, a little baby wrapped in swaddling claws, but unto us a Savior was born, was born. He is the propitiation, he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for yours only, but for the whole world. Golly, it just gets so good. Did you hear that? This little package right here. This is Mary and Joseph's. This is their amazing. This is the shepherds and the magi. Just a few people. Their story goes on and on and on. But it was ours also. What was given 2,000 some years ago was our salvation, was our Savior. Hey, listen, he doesn't just give you salvation and not be a Savior anymore. He can save you, and he can save you today. As you stand to your feet, what we're going to do is I'm going to share this last scripture, and the brothers are going to come and be ready to serve you communion. You guys can come now, because this is the communion right here. 
this little baby in this trough, and you may be living like an animal secretly. It may even be public in your life right now. You may have gone back to animalistic behavior. I've been there. I get it. Jesus still saves. Do you hear me? Jesus still saves. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he's still the Savior. That means he can still save. Let's just put our religion to the side. you know why that's so important? Because when Jesus came, he came when there was a religious upheaval. All these Pharisees and Sadducees who hadn't heard God in over 400 years made their own religions and how it made sense to them and how he should live according to them and how he should come and when he should come and he should come as a king and to be the, and be the king of Israel, not the king of kings. They, they, had them, they, had them, they had them minimized. They had them in a package. That's the closest thing they had, but they had no idea it was going to come like this and be the savior of the world. Let your religion fall to the wayside right now. Perhaps you need a fresh touch of his sacrifice, a fresh touch of his blood to forgive you. Whatever that may be, I could run down a list. I don't have to. It's all over in the Bible. All over in the Bible. But here, here is the greatest gift that keeps on giving. Greater than any gift. I don't care if it's a diamond. I don't care if it's a car. The greatest gift for God so loved the world. And if we would get that touch of love this morning, and if we don't get that touch of love this morning, if we do, we'll be able to love this city. If we don't, we will go no further than we are right now. Scottsboro, Northeast Alabama could be transformed by a group of people who love like Jesus loved. There were 12 disciples that turned a city in Thessalonica upside down. And they, they turned it around. People started purging things out of their house that were evil and wicked things, satanic things. It's love, the greatest gift. You may go home today. You may go home today and feel alone or feel disconnected and, and not feel involved or feel insignificant there. But maybe this word will come back to you and it say, what are you feeling that way for? You are loved by the God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth. You are so loved that he gave his only begotten son for you. And that gift still gives today. And he gives you the Holy Spirit and they give you gifts and they help you and they comfort you and they convince you and they convict you and he will lead you and he will guide you and bring you into all truth and lock you right into the realm of eternity. That gift is being presented to you this morning. A fresh new encounter to come to Jesus, your Savior, and to deliver you from your troubles. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world through him might be saved. There's that conditional basis, might be saved. He can do it, will you let him? He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to receive a symbolic representation of the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. Come to our hearts this morning. I ask in Jesus' name. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the Word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.